is Camilla and you're listening to The Cat's Whisker, a time machine for all those who love rock and roll and want to know everything about it. People, stories and the music that changed the world. In a few words, it doesn't matter whether you've lived through those years or just like me, you've always wondered what it was like. I have loads of stories to tell and great music to play. So let's roll! Hi everyone, welcome back to the Cat's Whisker for this very special Christmas episode. Whether you like rock and roll or not, on Christmas time at least one rock and roll song infiltrates everyone's playlist. Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree by Brenda Lee. And if many Christmas songs only work in December, I personally listen to Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree all year round. I was absolutely amazed to learn she was only 13 when she recorded it. So I needed to dedicate a whole episode to this great artist who released many songs and remained musically irrelevant for over 50 years. John Lennon considered her the first female rocker, but she always loved experimenting with many genres that led her to become one of the highest selling artists in music history. As you can imagine, she was very precocious and started singing when she was only a baby. But let's start from the very beginning. She was born on the 11th of December 1944, which makes us 79 today. So Brenda, in the remote case you're listening, Happy birthday! Brenda May Tarpley was born in the charity ward of Atlanta's Emory University Hospital. Her dad was a carpenter and her family was quite poor. They lived in several towns in Georgia, always following relatives around, but mostly between Conyers and Lithonia. She was only three years old when people started realizing she could sing and everyone enjoyed it. Her sister used to take her to the shops in town, Brenda would sing, and they'd come home with pockets full of candy. When she was five, she entered a contest and won it with the song Take Me Out to the Ball Game. That also allowed her to become a regular on local TV and radio shows, which together with her performances at luncheons and ice cream bars, started being a fun way for her to make money. Not that she was aware of it. I mean, most five years old, don't really understand the responsibilities that raising a family entails or how a job works, but she loved to sing and that was fun. A few years later, when she was eight, her dad suddenly died in a construction accident. This really devastated the family, as you can imagine. Lee's mom started working 14 to 16 hour shifts in a cotton mill and Brenda continued her singing career, becoming essentially a professional before the age of 10. And even if she began a career while still very young, her mother always made sure she led a normal life and went to school. She loved going to school actually and hanging out with other kids. She was a bit of a tomboy in fact. Brenda and her siblings were usually wearing clothes made of feed sacks, which were homemade clothes made with the cotton sacks, originally used for sugar, flour and animal feed. Whilst her siblings would come back home with her clothes still intact, Brenda loved playing with her schoolmates and climbing up trees, which is honestly so beautiful considering the difficult situation she was in. Because imagine being barely 10 and also being the main breadwinner of a family of four. It sounds stressful, right? Brenda, though, remembers these moments very dearly and always highlights how no one ever made her feel forced to do anything. 
She could have quit whenever she'd wanted because her family loved her and would have always supported her no matter what. But again, she loved singing and she still loves singing and was feeling really proud to be able to buy things for her family. Her mother Grace was working tirelessly to help her get her big breakthrough. Grace remarried and together with her new husband, Jay Rainwater, the family moved to Cincinnati, Ohio, and then Augusta, Georgia, and opened a record store where little Brenda sang every weekend, and thanks to the help of local DJ Peanuts Fairclough, Brenda Tartley got herself a stage name, Brenda Lee. In February 1956, she decided to turn down a radio appearance to go see country music star Red Foley. And a DJ persuaded Foley to let little Brenda get on stage to sing Jambalaya. This is what Foley had to say. I still get cold chills thinking about the first time I heard that voice. One foot started patting rhythm as though she was stomping out a prairie fire but not another muscle in that little body even as much as twitched. And when she did that trick of breaking her voice, it jarred me out of my trance enough to realize I'd forgotten to get off the stage. There I stood, after 26 years supposedly learning how to conduct myself in front of an audience with my mouth open two miles wide and a glassy stare in my eyes. So as you can imagine, she made quite the impression and that's the moment her life changed. Farley decided to help her and he got her a spot in his program, the Ozark Jubilee on ABC. And that meant going national. She became a regular on the show, which was filmed in Springfield, Missouri. So not really around the corner. It's in fact 800 miles, 12 hours away in the car according to Google Maps. So she'd get out of school on Friday, get on the bus with her mom and travel to Springfield, perform on the show on Saturday night, and then return home and back in class on Monday morning. She made her debut on the show with the same song that left Red Foley speechless and that would become her first record. The same song that her mom taught her and used to sing to little Brenda before she went to bed, Jambalaya. Everything changed from then on. She was signed by Decca in 1956 and Dub Albritton, Red Foley's manager, became her manager as well. And she started appearing on all the big programs, Steve Allen, Ed Sullivan, Perry Como. She even met Elvis in 1957. Wow, I mean, imagine that for a girl that age during those days. They took some pictures together and he gave her a golden necklace with the letters TLC tender loving care which he only ever gifted to his close female friends and they remained friends until his death everyone that worked with brenda always remarked how professional she was for a little girl and especially how adult she spoke and it was easy for her in a way because everyone could see how brilliant and talented she was everywhere she went no one could believe such a big voice could come out of such a small person four feet nine inches to be precise something i found fascinating is that at some point she was actually sent to singing lessons but the teacher refused to teach her because they thought it would get in her way not only did she have an incredible voice but the way she controlled it especially with all the inflections and embellishments she naturally adds to her interpretation. I mean, that is something you simply cannot teach. 
everyone believed in her. Her manager even mortgaged his house to help her get her breakthrough in the city where you had to be to make music at the time, Nashville, Tennessee. And soon enough, she moved there, where she was produced by Owen Bradley. I mean, that was the place to be and the people to be with. She started releasing stomping tunes like One Step at a Time and Dynamite, which also inspired her nickname, Little Miss Dynamite. Even if she was in Nashville, though, her music shifted to rock and roll and rockabilly. Her songs weren't hits in the US at first, but they were charting pretty well elsewhere. That's when she became probably the very first rock and roll star to embark on a world tour, the way that we perceive it today. She visited Japan, South America, Australia and Europe. And France definitely left a long-lasting impression after rumors about her actually being a 35-year-old midget started spreading since no one could fathom the possibility of a girl with such a big voice. All doubts vanished though as soon as Brenda Lee got to Paris and blew everyone away. And after performing in a lot of different countries and recording tunes in several languages, it's around 1959-1960 when she exploded in her own country with Sweet Nothings and then achieving her first number one in the pop charts and gold record with I'm Sorry. Now this song is particularly interesting not only for the beautiful vocals and music but also because when it was offered to Lee, Decca wasn't really confident about having a 14-year-old girl singing such a deep song. I mean not only it felt inappropriate but a little hard to sell from a 14-year-old's point of view. Well everyone thought that until Brenda. In the last 10 minutes of a recording session decided to do two takes of I'm sorry. She always said she wasn't an actress. She actually tried acting once. Connell Tom was friends with her manager and persuaded her to go to LA and try acting in 1960-61. I mean that's what all 50 stars did and well she gave it a go. An endeavor she'd only try once in the film The Two Little Bears. She was a singer though and that was her only love. But even though again she was no actress the emotion she was always able to convey with her singing the level of death she puts into her songs, it, it makes you believe she knows exactly what she's talking about. And that's how I'm Sorry worked and was extremely believable, even though she admitted she had absolutely no idea what she was singing about. And that at that point, she had never even been on a date. And that's why she was so special, so unique and successful. Although she was only young, she's always had control over the music she wanted to sing and her image. She would listen to the songs with Owen Bradley and prioritize lyrics and melodies that she really wanted to work on. She remembers a very important piece of advice Bradley gave her and that she found incredibly valuable during her whole career. Don't prostitute yourself to a song that commercially you think is going to be a hit if you're not crazy about it. Because otherwise you'll end up singing it forever. And again, that's the rule she decided to live by. And in all of her interviews, this really shines through. She loves making music and she's very grateful about the great people she's got to work with and treated her with complete respect even if she was the youngest person in the room. She couldn't read music and could just about play piano, but everyone always respected her input. She was very close to Patsy Cline and met Judy Garland, Ella Fitzgerald and even worked with many greats like Tony Bennett. They all took her seriously and especially when it came to the rock and roll movement she remembers a sense of camaraderie because everyone was very aware that they were creating something new, happy and revolutionary. 
And what's fresher than a kid singing her heart out? And she really did have a good feeling about songs and, well, about artists in general. In the spring of 1962, while she was touring Europe, specifically when she was performing in Hamburg, Germany, at the Star Club, the Beatles opened for her. She recounted being absolutely blown away by their sound. She had never heard anything like that before, and she absolutely loved them. It's worth remembering that although she was a massive deal, she was actually younger than all of them. They told her how much they admired her, and she reciprocated the compliment. She remembers asking them, where do you get these songs? And John Lennon very nonchalantly told her, well, we write them. She brought home a picture of them and a recording of their sound and showed them to her record label because she had the feeling that they were going to be huge. Guess what the folks at Decca told her? This look will never happen, nor this sound. And that was the year before Beatlemania started. She actually remembers being impressed by a lot of artists she worked with while she was in the UK, like The Who, Tom Jones, Dusty Springfield, when they still weren't famous in America. But again, she was American and it took her a while to be noticed there as well. But what's incredible about her is how she maintained momentum over numerous decades. But another reason why she reckons she was so successful is her simplicity. She was no beauty queen, she was small and not impossibly beautiful like many Hollywood stars were. Her audience saw her like a friend, her fans saw her like the girl next door. And when you can see people like her selling millions of records, although we all know she did sell them for her incredible talent, the fact that she was so down to earth spoke volumes for representation in those days. As she said in several interviews, she likes to think her fans looked at her and thought, she's just like me, she just sings. And while she was all that, she also went to school and had a normal childhood. Well, as normal as she could have had. She was always treated normally in her family and she loved going to school. She was a cheerleader and also part of the debate team. And again, that's probably the reason why, unlike many other people who achieved stardom at a tender age, she was always a very balanced human being. Because besides working tirelessly, she was just a normal girl. She had crushes and friends, and well, performed all around the world as well. And she was allowed to double date at the age of 16 and to date date when she was 18. But it was at a concert when she was 17 that she met the only man she would ever date. Her husband, Ronnie Shacklett. And uh, you've got to give it to her, she was quite a bold girl. She went to see Jackie Wilson in concert in Nashville with her school friend and soon colleague Rita Coolidge. While she was there, Brenda saw a guy across the aisle, not far from where they were seated. She wrote a note to him, I think you're cute, call me Brenda, and left her number. Now, in an interview I've heard him say he waited two weeks before calling her, but Lee says it was more like two or three months. Well, no matter what the truth is, <laughs> it all went well. It was quite complicated to be fair. As soon as they started dating, she had to go to Europe for two months. Two months filled with letters and jokes about a possible engagement. Well, when she came back, the ring had put on her finger wasn't a joke at all. And uh, she was incredibly happy, obviously, but had to hide the ring in her purse for months. Her career was doing very well. All of the singles she was releasing were going straight to top 10 and she was scared the happy news would make her manager 
not so happy. So they eloped and got married in 1963. When the news got out, luckily everyone was happy for her, especially her fan base. I mean, her manager and her family were a little bit disappointed at first, but then everyone just saw how good they were together and they quickly came around. The years after her wedding were quite busy, both with her family life, since she had two daughters, Julie and Jolie, and her work that kept taking her everywhere around the world for the whole duration of the 60s. And even though she's always been quite healthy, unfortunately by the time she was 25 she had to take a brief break from her music career due to pulmonary embolism and a kidney surgery right after. It wasn't long after her pulmonary embolism she had to jump on a plane and perform in Japan whilst doctors kept checking on her to make sure she was recovering well. And even in these difficult times she's always managed to dedicate a lot of time for her family whilst being on tour. Her youngest daughter recounted in an interview she remembers being introduced on stage when she was little and how fun it was being just a toddler in front of an adoring audience. Rock music evolved massively in the 60s, but Lee always managed to find a place for herself. In the 70s, that place was the one she came from originally, country. Her song Nobody Wins, in fact, went to number one in 1972. One of the hardest moments of her career, though, was probably the late 70s. Thinking about that great advice Owen Bradley gave her when she couldn't find songs that felt like her, she decided to take a break every once in a while to spend time with her family and to take care of herself. Even during those years, she credits her family and the support system around her for keeping her happy and stable. Whilst we know many artists really struggle when they saw their career decline. Something I really appreciate about Brenda Lee is her self-awareness that probably came from having a loving family and working with people that always respected her and treated her seriously. She knew she wasn't going to be number one forever and that she was never going to always be, as she says, everyone's darling. Which I find very powerful because even in my small world, compared to Brenda Lee's one, I still find rejection quite difficult to deal with. So if you're ever feeling like me, Think about Brenda Lee, I do. She really is an inspiration in so many ways. She was so established that she found herself in a great position. A position where you could essentially just pick and choose what to sing without feeling pressured about scoring a hit at all costs. Her new home for the 70s and 80s was country and in 1980 she had a Grammy nomination for the song Tell Me What It's Like that got to number 8 in the country charts and she also had a residency at Opryland from 1988 to 1990. And since she always liked experimenting, the 90s became her songwriting test. Alongside Michael McDonald and David Powelson, she wrote The Kind of Fool Love Makes, first sang by Wynonna and then covered by Kenny Rogers. And still, she knew singing was what she was born to do and that's what she did and still does every once in a while. It's never been business to her. She loves it and she's happy that's what she's got to do for her whole life. Especially in the brilliant interview Tanya Pearson did for the Women of Rock Oral History Project, which you can find on YouTube. 
Lee's personality definitely shines through and she comes across as the loveliest woman in the world. Honestly, I'd love to be able to talk to her. She's funny and a great entertainer. Everyone has nothing but good words for her, especially her family. She's a big family person and a devoted Christian. And that's also probably why, according to her daughters, she's absolutely crazy about Christmas. And well, everyone is crazy about her around Christmas too. Her rockin' around the Christmas tree is probably one of the most popular Christmas songs ever, literally in every single Christmas playlist on the planet. For many, the only rock and roll song they might listen during the whole year. It flies back in the charts every year and Brenda loves it so much that she ends up singing it even during her Christmas celebrations with her family. It was sent to her around 1958 and she recorded it when she was 13. She never thought it was going to be a hit and it actually wasn't at first. It was written by Johnny Marks, a Jewish man that made a lot of money <laughs> writing Christmas songs. He also wrote Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, A Holy Jolly Christmas. I mean, wow. And Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree didn't do well in the charts at first, but was re-released several times and finally exploded in 1960 when Lee was finally an established pop idol. And this year, to celebrate the 65th anniversary of the song, she's just released a video of her now lip-syncing to the song, and she's honestly still a rock and roll queen. The video, released a month ago, already has 5 million views on YouTube. And as of today, Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree is number one on Billboard Top 100. Isn't that amazing? Well, thank you very much for listening to this episode. I always wanted to do a, an episode about Brenda Lee, but I thought, you know, what better time than Christmas? Uh, I absolutely love, actually, while I was checking out um, Billboard, the, 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 the chart, it was great to see all those rock and roll songs that are never in the charts, really. Um, and it's just great to see them back there, you know, where they belong, <laughs> in my opinion, at least. And it's just amazing. I just think that for rock and roll fans, um, it's a great period Christmas <laughs> because you get to see so many great songs back in the charts and in everyone's playlist. And wherever you go, there's rock and roll because, I mean, those were the best times and Christmas songs are no different. So a very happy birthday to Brenda Lee and I hope you have a lot of fun over Christmas everyone not only Brenda but I Brenda specifically um, <laughs> if you want you can follow me on Instagram I just actually set up gifts uh, on Instagram if you want to support my videos and my podcast you can do it clicking on the videos I post on Instagram and sending me a gift and uh, you can contribute to uh, my work you can also follow me on TikTok. On both um, accounts, I'm The Cat's Whisker. I'm actually The Cat's Whisker podcast on Instagram and The Cat's Whisker on uh, TikTok. Uh, I post a lot of videos. I'm on Facebook as well. You can follow me there. I'm on YouTube as well. Literally everywhere. So <laughs> you'll never get rid of me. Have a great time this Christmas. Eat a lot. I mean, I got to say that. I'm Italian, right? And um, I'll see you next time. Ciao.